0: Welcome back to Marvel by the Month, a weekly podcast about the monthly publishing history of Marvel Comics. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. And we are very excited to talk about the six comics uh, that Marvel published uh, that came out in June 1963. Um, These had a newsstand date of April 1963. um, And we're going to tell you a little bit about them. Uh, The first issue that we're going to read is actually the first annual that we have uh, talked about on the podcast. Uh, This will be Strange Tales Annual Number 2 with a story called On the Trail of the Amazing Spider-Man. This one was written by Stan Lee uh, with art by Jack Kirby inked by Sturdy Steve Ditko. Basically, the gist of it is the Human Torch teams up with Spider-Man. Uh, he they track down the fox uh, who's been stealing priceless paintings and framing Spider-Man for it. You can figure that they probably get the best of him, but how do they do it? <laughs> Stay uh, tuned and find out. True believers. We'll also be talking about Journey into Mystery number ninety-three: Thor versus the Mysterious Radioactive Man, uh, written by R. Burns. Uh, with, that's Robert Bernstein uh, with Stan Lee. Uh, art by Jack Kirby, inked by Dick Ayers. Uh, and in this issue, a Chinese scientist named Chen Lu turns himself into the radioactive man and attacks Thor after Thor stops the Chinese army's advance into India. We'll also be talking about Strange Tales 109, The Sorcerer and Pandora's Box, also written by R. Burns with Stan Lee. Uh, the art is done again by Jack Kirby Inked by Dick Ayers um, And we see in this issue The Human Torch will face off against the Sorcerer Who has all of the imps of the actual Pandora's box At his command <laughs> If you are waiting for the Sorcerer to show up In the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, Keep waiting Do not hold your breath No No uh tales of suspense number 42 the story is called trapped by the red barbarian um this is a iron man story written again by r burns with stan lee uh larry lieber seems to be on the outs this (laughs) month R. burns got himself some work yeah Uh, uh and don heck uh will be doing the artwork did you know uh Don Heck's name was actually Don Hell, uh, but they uh, had to change it to Don Heck because of the comics code. That,
1: that makes sense to me. Maybe yeah.
0: I thought it was Don Hades,
1: but that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think they went with that first, but they just wanted to you know, have something a little snappier. So Don Heck. Uh, and uh, in this uh, issue, Iron Man has to protect plans for a disintegrator ray uh, from a Chinese general who's named the Red Barbarian, um, and he sends the actor a Master of Disguise, after Tony Stark. Tales to Astonish number 44, The Creature from Cosmos, uh, was written by H.E. Huntley, plotted by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby, inked by Don Heck. Uh, And in this issue, Ant-Man gets a slightly better origin story. Um, He winds up teaming up with the Wasp in her first appearance uh, against the Creature from Cosmos. And finally, last but certainly not least... Fantastic Four number 15, The Mad Thinker and His Awesome Android. <laughs> Written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby, inked by Dick Ayers, The Thinker makes his debut and tricks the Fantastic Four into splitting up so that he can launch a crime wave across the city. That's a pretty stacked deck.
1: That is. It's a it's a big month. It, there's a lot of comics. There's a lot of pages. There's some good ones.
0: I Absolutely. I would say more than half of them are good ones. Yeah. Um, But which half? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. All right. Well, uh, before we uh, dive into these very, very good comics this month, um, let's talk a little bit about what was going on in April 1963 when these comic books were uh, hitting the shelves. Well, for some people, their stories were just getting started. Oh, yes. And by their stories,
1: I mean their stories during the afternoon when they're drinking wine. (laughs) <laughs> um, on uh, April Fool's Day, 1963, the long-running American TV soap opera *General Hospital* made its debut on the ABC network.
0: When we say long-running, um, we mean long-running. That show—I don't know if it's still on the air, but I know it lasted at least 50 years.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I've not I have not tuned in. Yeah. Um, nor is it on my DVR. No. But, uh, but I think it was running until relatively recently so if it's not still running sorry general hospital if you're still running
0: yeah uh i mean i'm not saying i don't drink wine during the day but uh, i don't watch general hospital while i'm doing it so (laughs) uh in not as hilarious news um this is actually a pretty serious deal um in on april 3rd 1963 Uh, The Southern Christian Leadership Conference uh, volunteers kicked off the Birmingham campaign in Birmingham, Alabama, against racial segregation with a sit-in. So this is a group uh, that um, counted among its numbers uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, And uh, not two weeks later, on the 12th of April, Martin Luther King Jr., Ralph Abernathy, and Fred Shuttlesworth, among others, were arrested in a protest for parading without a permit uh, because that's the kind of thing that alabama sheriffs would arrest you for uh, when you tried to rock the boat uh, and then four days later after being arrested uh, mlk issued his letter from birmingham jail which if you haven't read it you should definitely check it out it is uh, a seminal uh, time capsule of the moment um, but again you know we mentioned these things because uh, as we talk about these issues of Marvel Comics, you're going to start seeing these themes come up, um, and uh, it's really important to have a sense and an awareness of what's going on in the country at this point um, and why uh, some of these things uh, start creeping into the comic stories that we're going to be talking about. In in
1: a lighter note about MLK Jr., Yes, uh, both you yeah. and me share a birthday with him. We do. Uh, that did draw my interest to his work when I was younger. Uh, and, and uh, sometimes to the dismay of people in my family, <laughs> they're like, what is going on with this little kid? Uh, yep. yeah, I, 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 got fairly obsessed with MLK when I was a kid Yeah, uh, and I was very happy that he was honored with a day off and it happened to be near my birthday. Uh, but it was more important that he was honored with the day off so that people could recognize him.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. January 15th. Um, all three of us were born on that day in different years. Uh, and it's, I'm, I'm proud to be in that company. Uh, also born on that day was Charo. So, uh, you know, you win some, you lose some, but, uh, no, I, it's a, it's a super cool thing, uh, to have known, even before I really understood what the civil rights movement was about. That Mm -hmm. I knew that I shared a birthday with this man. Um, it's a very, very great thing in different and
1: scary news. Um, on the, 5th of april the soviet union accepted an american proposal to establish a moscow washington hotline so that the leaders of the two nations could communicate directly with each other in order to avoid war uh that's because we were so close to war all the time and i this only makes me think of dr strangelove yeah They, they actually use that phone in dr strangelove uh so you know check that out for a little context
0: uh, hey, I got some music news for you, and it doesn't involve the Beatles, I'm sorry to wow. say. Yeah. Uh, so a fellow named Boots Randolph, uh, who uh, was kind of an accompanist and session guy for um, a lot of different performers across a lot of different genres, uh, he actually had a U.S. hit that charted uh, in April 63, um, and it hit number one on the Billboard chart, yeah. and that song was Yakety Sax, the Benny Hill theme. Oh, God, I I just imagine that it came from Benny
1: Hill. Like that was the only way I could associate it.
0: No, this is a thing that existed uh, independently. And uh, it's it's a song that just if you take literally any YouTube video and speed (laughs) it up about 75 percent and put this behind it, uh, it's instantly a comedy piece. For those
1: of you who don't hear this in your head, it goes a little something like this. So, you know, just, yeah. just look that up. And It'll sound exactly like what I
0: just did. <laughs> and good luck ever getting that out of your head. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, some sports news uh, in uh, on the 7th uh, of April uh, at Augusta National Golf Club. Uh, the 27th Masters Tournament was won by uh, a 23-year-old fella named Jack Nicklaus. Uh, Somebody
1: younger than the Masters Tournament
0: at that point. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he became the youngest player ever to win uh, the Masters. Um, and, you know, the Golden Bear uh, established his legacy there. The Golden Bear Cub at that point. Yes, yes. exactly. Uh,
1: uh, at the 35th Academy Awards on the 8th of April, uh The Lawrence of Arabia won the Best Picture Oscar. Gregory Peck won Best Actor for To Kill a Mockingbird, while Anne Bancroft won Best Actress for portraying Helen Keller's teacher in The Miracle Worker.
0: That is just a murderer's row of Oscar winners. Yeah. Hey, here's a crazy bit of trivia that I was totally unaware of uh, until I was doing research for this episode. So on the 10th of April... Uh, an unknown gunman narrowly missed killing former U.S. Army General Edwin A. Walker, who had been working on his taxes at his home in Dallas, Texas. Here's the twist. The would-be killer would later turn out to have been Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> what? And <laughs> he used the same rifle that he would later go on to shoot President Kennedy with. Wow. Yeah.
1: That is that is very bizarre. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess they later, yeah, would understand that. But with all of the work I did reading everything about a conspiracy theory growing up, never did I come across that. So that's yeah. what's so shocking to me.
0: The extent of my uh, research into the Kennedy assassination was reading Stephen King's 11, 22, So, <laughs> uh, well, that's yeah. It,
1: it, research can be air quoted. Yes. Uh, Well, speaking of President Kennedy, um, on the 22nd, he started the one year countdown for the opening of the 1964 New York World's Fair by keying 1964 on a touchtone telephone in the Oval Office. Kennedy then spoke over the line to a crowd of about a thousand people at Flushing Meadows Park and said 366 days from today i plan to attend your opening i did i tried not to do an accent there
0: i appreciate that yeah <laughs> um i i haven't cheated by looking ahead but i'm pretty sure he didn't make it there uh, and maybe there's
1: some foreshadowing with the previous note
0: yeah yeah um and then finally uh just to tie this all off uh april 27th um It's kind of a a grim note, but the U.S. Marine Corps lost its first aircraft to enemy action in Vietnam. Um, Obviously, this would not be the last time this happened. Um, But again, just as a reminder that, hey, Vietnam's a thing and it's heating up and uh, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah. And again, it's a reminder of the reflection to the
1: comics. Uh, There is a constant threat, not just from Russia, but from China as well.
0: Yep. You start seeing in some of these stories uh, East Asian uh, villains cropping up. So mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of the uh, you know the Russian um, you know square jawed vodka zombies um, showing up, and uh, now we're starting to see more and more of the uh, of the uh, Southeast Asian enemies. Yeah. And um, when you caricature a Russian person. It ages a little bit better than when you caricature an East Asian adversary. Yeah. Um, So, you know, these are not some of the high points of Marvel's history. You know, a lot of these stories are fairly propagandistic. So, you know, you have to, you know, you take everything, um, judging it by the values of the era that it was created in. Yes so uh that's what's been going on in uh april 1963 we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to tell you what's going on in all of these stories stay tuned hey welcome back um so we got, uh, six issues to talk about. Um, let's go ahead and jump into them. Uh, how do you feel about doing a play by play for uh, strange tales? Number one Oh nine. I'm happy
1: to do it. All right. So let's talk about the, the forgettable sorcerer was what was running through my head. And, <laughs> and part of that is because this is a very forgettable story. So, um, and you know, we don't expect a, a high bar from strange tales in general. Um, the torch gets on the wrong side of a creepy old guy, the sorcerer, who's threatening kids on his property with dogs.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's it's really pretty, uh, pretty messed up because so you've got this old guy. He's got these dogs like really like Hound of Baskervilles type dogs uh, that, you know, these kids have crossed onto his property. He's, you know, just threatening to release these dogs and tear these kids to shreds. Uh then the human torch shows up which is great. Then he takes things a little too far. Uh <laughs> he, like uh after the sorcerer has already agreed to lock the dogs up, then Johnny decides that it's a good idea to like create a wall of flame around his property. Yeah. It's like, "Okay, dude, like just chill a Don't little bit. Don't
1: antagonize the old get off my lawn guy."
0: Yeah, seriously. It's like you made your point. <laughs> just let let's be neighborly here. So,
1: naturally, there's some retaliation from crazy old get off my lawn guy, who we'll call the sorcerer. Yep. Um, uh, he uses the actual Pandora's box to unleash imps like hatred, forgetfulness, sleepiness,
0: etc. Other dwarfs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, so he has a reputation for being a like someone who uh, studies black magic, but everyone just kind of dismisses him as a crank. But he literally has the pandora's box um and he just uses the human torches uh humiliation of him as an excuse to just terrorize the town and uh you know
1: not a not a not a big uh surprise but torch beats the sorcerer who never (laughs) shows up again
0: yeah and honestly like we we can go into more detail about this but that's just about all you need to know about this story is the sorcerer releases an imp, uh, he commits a crime with it. Uh he releases another imp, he commits another crime, uh, and then eventually the human torch gets the better of him and and that's that. Um, you know, in terms of historical relevance, this is not one of those stories. <laughs> yeah. Uh
1: there are a few, you know, there again, it's another opportunity for Jack to draw some some monsters, some sort oh of, sure, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. smoke dragon sort of monsters. So they uh, and they vary quite a bit, and uh, but yeah, I, I feel like that's that's about the best thing I can say.
0: Yeah, um, but there is another issue of Strange Tales uh, that came out this month, um, which is Strange Tales Annual Number Two, um, and this actually I think has uh, a lot more going for it um, than the regular issue does. So. Um, This is the first annual that we've ever covered uh, on the podcast, Um, and it's advertised as 72 big pages, uh, which, I mean, they are regular comic book size pages, (laughs) just to be clear. But, uh, you know, it makes you think it's like, oh, wow, like you're going to get all this uh, superhero action. Actually, only 18 of them are devoted to the cover story, which features uh, Spider-Man and Human Torch on it. Um, And the rest of them are just reprints of old uh, sci-fi Marvel comics. Uh, But this is actually, I thought, uh, a really good story, Um, and there's a couple reasons. Um, The first is that it has an absolutely A-list creative team. Like, uh, Stan Lee writes it, Jack Kirby draws it, Steve Ditko inks it. Mm -hmm. So, and it seemed to me in certain parts of the story uh, that... uh, Kirby was sort of letting Ditko do more of the Spider-Man work. Um, mm-hmm. He 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 did some of the posing and stuff like that, but um, was sort of turning it over to to Steve for the the detail work on Spidey, and uh, which I thought was was kind of cool. It's also kind of ironic that they put an absolute like top-notch creative team on this because what Marvel annuals would turn into was basically (laughs) like... Reprint cash, yeah. Yeah, it's like they'd reprint stories um, and then they'd also, like it was a cash grab, they would Mm -hmm. uh, like put a, you know, maybe the regular series writer, but almost never the regular series artist on these things. Um, uh, And and a lot of times it it would be part of a, you know, four-part story that ran across other annuals. um, And then you'd get can't miss storylines like atlantis attacks uh which was oh god yeah we'll get to that uh when we get to the 80s but no this is great this is like what you would kind of hope an annual would be it's like it's a big event um it's a thick book it's got you know great creative uh forces at work um it does cost twice as much as a regular comic um but hopefully uh, your money's worth here I thought that made it really good story. Uh, The second thing that made a really good story was that I kind of didn't realize it until this point, but these are the only two teenage heroes in the Marvel universe at this point. So having torch and Spidey team up actually works really, really well. They're both young. They're both kind of cocky. um, They both have trouble kind of controlling and containing their emotions. um, And uh, they've got a lot in common because they're the youngest heroes in the marvel universe um spider-man is looked at with suspicion um and the torch is constantly feeling like he doesn't get the credit he deserves as a, he's
1: part of the team right 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 yeah. he's
0: he's the kid on the team so and i think
1: i i think you're right they're they're both teenagers but they're both really public figures yeah. like they're aware of each other in yeah. a way so they that naturally leads to a little like they—they they feel like they know each other, like they're celebrities yep. in some way. Yeah. One infamous. One's more of a Russell Crowe. Now, uh, <laughs> just sorry, Russell.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and uh, prior to this point, the only time these guys have ever met in person was when Spider-Man shows up at the Fantastic Four's headquarters and like, "Hey, give me a job," and they're like, "No." <laughs> you <laughs> not out of you're not a kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they actually, you know. So uh, what's going on is basically there's uh, there's an art thief uh, named the Fox. He's stealing paintings. He's leaving uh, webs behind uh, to get people to think that Spider Man's the one doing this. Um, so the Torch gets literally all fired up and wants to you know to bring Spider Man to justice. And they wind up having like a pretty fun. Um, tussle uh for a few pages where they're like you know battling over a swimming pool um and uh like zipping through a forest and fighting on a construction site and stuff like this and I actually thought the banter between them was pretty fun like oh yeah yeah like they they talk some good smack um to each other the other thing I realized this is
1: almost unrelated but in a couple of comics in the last uh this last episode and, and this episode, uh, we we see the slang term Natch oh, yeah. pop up a lot. <laughs> and I, I was like, I feel like I've used that recently and maybe it's just because it's bled in from reading these comics. Yeah, But I also think I've heard it. So I'm like, maybe that's there's a revival just for, you know, abbreviation, you know, Totes Natch.
0: Maybe it's our loyal listeners who are repopularizing this. Maybe, maybe we're bringing back like 60s hipster slang. That's totally Genshi, man. Yeah, I mean the, the Plot on this uh, story is actually pretty by the numbers. Um, it's uh, it's actually so generic that, so the villain in this piece is a a an art thief named the Fox. Um, Spider-Man winds up fighting an octogenarian jewel thief named the Black Fox later mm-hmm. on in his career, um, who I actually remembered way better than this guy. And I oh, yeah. thought this was the same guy until I kind of dug in. It's like, oh, wait so one is the fox one is the black fox i don't think the fox shows up again um Uh, the fox does show up again oh he does oh Uh, when he
1: gets out of jail from this (laughs) so he went to jail for 30 years yeah okay he uh like in i think it was 94 or something Uh i did a little research on it too because i thought he had to be some like recurring villain right Uh, and he had a pretty good heist plan so i was like maybe he's gonna come back but uh just just the once uh and he is you know he's been plotting his revenge for 30 years from prison gets out and you know doesn't quite work out
0: yeah Uh, yeah you know the villain not super original uh the plot not super original but the character moments between spider-man and the human torch i think are what really make the story uh stand out um this is the start of the Torch Spidey friendship slash rivalry. Um, and this is something that carries through basically throughout I mean, to the present day. I, oh, very much. Yeah. yeah.
1: They they hang out. They've been roommates. Yeah. <laughs> they know each other very well and they know their identities.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. And, I think uh, doesn't the torch in the 70s wind up building the spider buggy? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: yeah, they have a they have a great friendship and a, a really huge friendship. Yeah.
0: By the time we reach the present day. I think it shows also what um, when you have I, I, I think it has become fashionable in certain circles to just say that, you know, Stanley was just an opportunist. He just you know, he didn't really contribute anything to Marvel. Uh, he uh, you know, he just took advantage of, you know, artists and other creatives, uh, to, you know, create his own legend. But it's pretty clear to me, like when you read an issue like this versus an issue of like literally any other strange tale story that we've talked about so far, the bar is just so much higher.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can tell that from every month when we see which, which thing did stand right. Yeah. Which did, which did stand plot and someone else. Right. It's always our, our favorites are always stands. Yeah. And, and there's proof. Like, I, again, I said, I, I read like a, a ancient photocopied version of Stan's original script for Fantastic Four, which One. I
0: recently came yeah. across. Yeah.
1: And uh, you can tell. I mean, it's it's loose and weird for a script because yeah. he's he's mostly painting the scene by talking about the characters and how they interact. So he's just giving Jack the broad strokes. Yeah. But but those broad strokes are all there and they're all clearly defining the characters
0: yeah but that's also what stan's strength was it was the the character driven and interpersonal relationship stories like the plots the plots are whatever you know like comic book plots in the 60s and honestly you know 70s and a lot of the 80s it's it's nothing super special but the good stories that stand out are the stories that come organically from these are who the characters are this is how they relate to each other Uh, and that's the thing that Stan figured out before anyone else did in comic books Mm -hmm. Why don't you uh, take us through uh, Fantastic Four number 15 Happy to Uh, So we have
1: The Mad Thinker and His Awesome Android Uh, This is the first appearance of The Mad Thinker and His Awesome Android both of which reappear dozens of times going forward. Uh, the story starts out with the thinker assembling a kingdom of crime in New York. Uh, and, and we get a like classic thinker pose when we first see him to um, yes. Rodin sculpture. Yep. Yep. Uh, so his fabulous brain and computing machines let him stay one step ahead of the law. Those are his own quotes of, fabulous brain
0: uh, <laughs> yeah and, and he's this has got is, a bit of an ego yeah this is great it's like his whole gimmick is that he knows what everyone's gonna do before they do it um and this is something that like literally this has not changed a wit in 40 years 50 yeah. years you know so um you know he says things like it's exactly 12 42 p.m they should be entering in one and one half seconds it's like just like everything is you know like plotted out to a precise and absolutely impossible degree
1: yeah yeah and it, and he his computing machines by the way are <laughs> cool yes they are they are a 60s computer so it's like a auditorium of pipes and buttons and levers and things
0: yeah it looks like the phantom of the opera's lair
1: yeah so using his machine and plotting these things uh, he's able to to you know figure everything out he's trying to build this crime empire but first he's got to deal with the fantastic four which he does by tricking them into going on a hiatus so uh <laughs> so basically he's getting them all to do something else yep So Johnny's cousin shows up, offers him a chance to join his circus to help boost, you know, waning ticket sales,
0: which I love is, is that he just knows is like, if Johnny gets the opportunity to run away and join the circus, he will absolutely run (laughs) away and join the circus. Yep. And,
1: uh, General Electronics recruits Reed to head their electronic research division
0: yeah by leaving a, an issue of the Fantastic Four comic, the Marvel Universe Fantastic Four comic on the table.
1: It's like the custodian leaves a comic in there right right. Yeah. right. Um, then the thing is recruited
0: to become a professional wrestler and that's something that he he actually does become a professional wrestler like in the 80s when he splits off from the Fantastic Four for a while um it's i think it's called the unlimited class wrestling yeah. federation um which i have always wanted to bring back as a story like i i i have a good story that combines unlimited class wrestling and the ringmaster circus of crime if anyone from marvel is listening i i can do a spec script for you on the spot <laughs> Just,
1: he will he will drop everything and then sue gets a movie deal yeah so yeah she uh apparently has a desire to work in hollywood so they're all headed to different places altogether. We've yep. got Johnny heading to I can't remember Mississippi or Tennessee. Um there's Sue's out in Hollywood. Yep. Reed's, you know, in a lab so he's he's busy.
0: Yep. Um and then uh I think the thing goes to the Midwest. He talks about like to to go the pro wrestling circuit. Yeah. yeah. The so.
1: Midwestern Sports Arena, the circuit.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um so this is back in the territory days when <laughs> it's like I'm not I, I'll do a separate podcast about old timey wrestling <laughs> <laughs> so the FF goes their
1: separate ways and the thinker begins his crime wave so he's got he's got them cleared out uh, they get back together only to dis- discover that the thinker has taken over their headquarters um, which is crazy he's got like a crystal diamond thing around the outside of the entire baxter building
0: yeah and it's not clear like a uh, passers can't see it but the fantastic four can and i th- this part was a little confusing to me but the thinker i guess what we're meant to take away from this is the thinker has got all the bases covered he's taken over the headquarters no one realizes it's been taken over except for the fantastic four and what are they going to do because he's got their HQ and he's got all of Reed's uh scientific research at his disposal. By the way, earlier in this issue, Reed nonchalantly just tosses off the fact uh that he has created artificial life in his lab. Um and he's like, "Do you think I wanted to stop working on this to take this meeting?" No, but here I am. You know, it's like, "Wait, back up. <laughs> like you're creating life in your laboratory?"
1: Yeah. Reed's yeah.
0: a Reed's a scary guy. Reed's terrifying. He, yeah. Um if you,
1: if you take a step back, it, it's not so whimsical. Um, and, and I think there's a couple mentions of DNA and, you know, cellular science. And, um, so I, I w- here and both in tales to astonish. So I think that's, that's something playing out in, in, you know, the history of science at the time where it's becoming popular knowledge enough for Stan to start sliding it into a story. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the FF had, had come back together. They, they, you know, the grass wasn't greener. They find their, their this crystal thing around the Baxter building, <laughs> uh, that no one else can see. Um, they fight their way in, they find different ways to get past some traps and every time they do it, you think, cool, they're going to stop the thinker. But the thinker's like, Oh, this is just as I planned. Yeah. Yeah. So every step they move forward. He, he planned on that. Right. Um, Or at least he says so. And he sounds convincing. So they finally meet the awesome android, which is a
0: weird looking thing. Uh, Uh, I love this thing. This is like a classic Kirby creation. He's got, he's just like this gray humanoid who's still wearing pants um, like wrestling pants, wrestling like trunks. Pants. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and he's got like this giant square head, and when he needs to, he forms a mouth, uh, to blow uh, like jet force winds uh, out of it. Yeah. Um, but it's just such a weird, freaky looking thing.
1: Yeah. No eyes, no nose, just a squarish rectangle of a head. Yeah. And uh, that looks like unmolded clay almost. Yeah. And, yeah. Very. So it's unfinished. like a golem thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So they fight this android that's built from reed's experiments into creating artificial life yeah. so there we go with the scary reed again thanks reed um they defeat the thinker by doing something he couldn't have anticipated so uh this is awesome because so <laughs> you you start to go like well there's no way they're going to beat him um, right reed previously gimmicked all of his equipment to shut down if one single button was pressed downstairs and uh, and the FF had Willie Lumpkin, the mailman, uh, <laughs> press the button at a predetermined time, which happened to be exactly when they confronted the thinker.
0: And I love this because, like, when we first met Willie Lumpkin a couple uh, issues ago, he was auditioning to be a member of the Fantastic Four. And this time, he actually, like, whether he knows it or not, he kind of got to be uh, a member. Uh, he he beats the bad guy yeah, by pushing saves that them. button. Yeah
1: and and we have just one panel uh, there's two panels with him just sort of on a tv screen that reads showing of willie pressing the button and sort of just nonchalantly like no idea what it means he just he was told to do it and he came and did it maybe they'll get him in there with his ear wiggling power (laughs) um so the thinker vows to be prepared for the x factor next time and there will be many many next times
0: I'm going to uh, go ahead and take us through uh, Tales of Suspense number 42, uh, the Iron Man story called Trapped by the Red Barbarian. Um, And I think this one we'll go through pretty quickly. Um, It's another early Iron Man story. Um, These early Iron Man stories tend to be pretty forgettable. The good news is that they find their feet pretty quickly with Iron Man, um, and we start getting some pretty good stuff uh, in the not-too-distant future. Um, but this one, uh, is not one of those is still kind of a working out the kinks issue. Um, there's two, uh, villains, both of whom are really pretty generic. Uh, first we have the red barbarian, uh, who's a very by the numbers, uh, communist colonel. The only thing that's notable about him is that years later he would be retconned, um, so that he would be the warden of the Gulag that Bucky Barnes is being held in, uh, during his, uh, winter soldier years. So. Um, you know, he comes back, but again, this is not, yeah, th- this character lied fallow for, you know, 45 or 50 years before. Yeah. Um, I I think Ed Brubaker brought him back. Um, and then the other, uh, villain that, uh, Iron Man faces is the actor, um, who, honest to God, he, like, this seems like the 20th time we've seen a, a one and done villain, uh, whose, uh, superpower is, uh, super impersonation. Yeah. Um, and 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 some of these like they actually had some longevity to them like the chameleon comes chameleon back again sticks yeah, yeah yeah the scrolls stick but um this is just another guy who can disguise himself blah 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 huh. um uh you know he, he never reappears uh for obvious reasons when you get to the end of the story um uh, but he also never really needs to because there's at least a half a dozen other folks who we've met so far who can do his job um Anyway, uh, I'll take us through the plot real quickly uh, because, again, it's not really worth spending a ton of time on. The actor winds up impersonating Tony Stark to get the plans of a disintegrator ray that Stark invented. Um, While he's doing that, he figures out that Stark is Iron Man, but he keeps that to himself. Iron Man turns it around on the actor. He steals back the plans. Uh, He then impersonates the actor impersonating Iron Man Mm -hmm. uh, to the Red Barbarian. Um, And this results in the Red Barbarian turning on the actor and shooting him, uh, preventing the Red Barbarian from learning about Iron Man's secret identity or getting the disintegrator Ray plans. That's the story. uh, I don't think we need to spend really any more time on that. Uh, I'd rather uh, jump into Journey into Mystery number 93. Yeah. If you'd be so kind. I will take
1: us through. This is Thor versus the mysterious radioactive man. And it's got a pretty cool cover. We've got uh, the the glowing green, greenish man uh, in some kind of a diaper. Uh, this is the introduction of one of Thor's most classic non-Asgardian villains, the yeah. radioactive man.
0: Yeah. So we have we've got Loki. He's really well established by this point. Um, and then, you know, eventually we see Frost Giants and, you know, other uh, Asgardian villains. But um, this is, uh, you know, a mundane human villain. Uh, who nonetheless shows up time and time again to mess with Thor.
1: Yeah, and he... So this is a Chinese scientist named Chen Lu who gives himself radiation powers to take on Thor. So he he is a, 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 you know, foremost scientist in radiation, manages and decides he's going to irradiate himself instead of any other subject because he doesn't want to give them this awesome power. Yeah. Uh, So he can project radioactive force uh, like heat and has super strength and super endurance. So he's, he's a pretty formidable foe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's basically got all the Thor powers and then radiation. Yeah.
1: Amazing radiation. (laughs) Uh, uh, why does China want to get rid of Thor? Um, Thor is preventing the Red Chinese Army from invading India. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So the the, uh, the issue starts out actually in India um, where lame Dr. Blake uh, is uh, hanging out with the uh, Indian Army. Um, it's kind of funny, like for a guy who's dedicated himself to, you know, taking care of people and healing people, he has a lot of opinions on military strategy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and as Thor, he does smack people around quite a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. The first few pages are just, you know, Thor messing up the Red Army and, <laughs> like, you know, causing thunderstorms, you know, and uh, tying all of their tanks to his hammer and, like, sending them back to the Indian forces so they can use them. That's my favorite. Yeah, and it's just, like, really just single-handedly completely messes them up uh which leads chen lu to turn himself into the radioactive yeah man.
1: and so radioact he's he's a very tough opponent he thor's hammer bounces off of him so mjolnir cannot get through nope um he's impervious to thor's lightning so we're just losing all the special powers here yeah and if thor attacks him he'll blow up like a hydrogen bomb so you've got that whole like dead man's like fail safe thing (laughs) here like yeah you can hit me but i might i will blow up like an atomic bomb
0: yeah he's the ultimate sore loser
1: um he can also hypnotize thor and get him to throw away his hammer so he's still this is another constant not only do we have these disguised villains we have hypnotism as a constant
0: uh, uh foil for everyone here yeah feeding right into all that cold war paranoia yeah yeah
1: Uh, So once he recovers his hammer, Thor whips up a whirlwind that shoots radioactive man back to China, where he crash lands
0: and explodes in a fantastic mushroom cloud. (laughs) So you think this is probably the end of radioactive man, but don't worry, he'll be back. And uh, yeah,
1: and there's the 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 problem with this story is that with the the red Chinese, as they say, um, talking about the communists, uh, There are the coloring of the of Asian characters is still that jaundiced pale um, and and even their depictions. It's very stereotypical. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough to read. I think if you're going to go back and and read some of these issues like you have to be prepared to encounter some of the stuff like it's just this is the way folks from, you know, of this ethnicity were treated Mm -hmm. um, in uh, this era it's not pleasant um it's something that i'm happy to say that we have moved pretty far past um but yeah looking back on it it is really really shocking
1: and and it's also propaganda like, oh yeah I, totally that's the other point is, yeah i mean there there were real threats and there was a reason why a lot of popular culture did you know take these kinds of stances like making a norse god a huge patriot yeah um but
0: You can see the
1: propaganda at a
0: glance yeah this is just unpleasant (laughs) it's unpleasant to go back and look at i hate the fact that you know something that i like this much wallows in these tropes but you know there you have it it's it's a reflection yep so
1: yeah i mean that's just part of what it is as as pop culture it's
0: it's a reflection anyway off the soapbox, on to Tales to Astonish number forty-four, uh, the creature from Cosmos, um, and uh, man, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I thought this was a really good Ant-Man story. I wasn't sure that things like that existed. <laughs> I, I agree.
1: I was I was shocked and surprised, and this has this is my favorite Ant-Man story.
0: Yeah, I mean, granted, that's like. A, that bar is set at ant height. But, <laughs> but I mean this is this is actually like I, I legitimately if this had just shown up in the middle of any, you know, uh, any month of comics, I would have thought this is a pretty good story. Um, there's three big reasons for that. Uh, First, it's the debut of the Wasp, uh, Janet Van Dyne, um, who is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Um, It also gives us some backstory on Henry Pym's pre-Ant-Man life. So it kind of rounds him out as a character more um, in ways that Ant-Man hasn't had that other Marvel characters have had up until this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And although the the villain of the piece, uh, he's really sort of a one-off character. Um, there's parts of him I really thought were pretty great Yeah, So, I agree. Uh, Yeah, so um, let's go ahead and take each of those things So uh, first of all, let's talk about uh, what we learn about Ant-Man's backstory uh, in this issue So um, what we find uh, early on in the issue is that uh, Henry Pym used to be married uh, He used to be married to a woman named Maria Troivana uh, Whose family fled Hungary during the Cold War um, They were political exiles Um, Henry uh, marries Maria uh, In the United States um, And they decide to return to Hungary During their honeymoon Uh, That turns out to not be a great idea Because she is kidnapped and killed um, By uh, Agents of the uh, government That leads to uh, Hank having a mental and physical Breakdown Um, And this is not the last time uh, That this will happen to Henry Pym So uh, I don't think this is intentional foreshadowing but it does sort of plant the seeds that henry pym struggles with mental issues yeah Um,
1: yeah this it it does make him much more human yeah and and uh to me more of an interesting character and even even though he has his ups and downs uh moving forward uh this really helps to to make him sympathetic too yeah when he does act not as heroic as as other heroes do, yeah, which he, which he's sort of known for,
0: yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, that winds up becoming a core part of his character. It's it also makes it when he does kind of overcome this and behave in a heroic manner, it's it's more heroic as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, as he's recovering from his breakdown, um, he recalls uh, his late wife repeating a phrase, which is a Bible verse: uh, "Go to the ants, thou sluggard." Um, it's from Proverbs and. The whole idea is that you basically look to the ant and you know how, how hard it works and how resourceful it is during the summer so that it can survive the winter. Um, so he takes us to heart and he decides that he's going to apply his talents to uh, fighting um, injustice wherever it should happen to be. So he's got this brilliant scientific mind. Maria's murder is what pushes him to develop his shrinking technology, which we see in his first origin story. Um, And that, of course, leads to his adventures in the Ant Hill um, and then eventually becoming Ant Man. So a little bit of retconning with, you know, planting the seed of, you know, ant uh, in there. But (laughs) I do. uh,
1: There is one sort of um, glaring typo that I like. Oh, yeah. Um, When Maria and, you know, she's Hungarian uh, when she says this quote to him the first time or when we see him thinking about it. Yeah, she says. Go to the ants, thou dullard. <laughs> and I I was I had to go back and forth there a couple of times because he repeats the sluggard. And I was like, what? <laughs>
0: Look at the ants, stupid.
1: Yeah. So it seemed much more hilarious. And I, I would love it to just be some kind of translation error yeah. for, from her.
0: Yeah. Or that she's just throwing really subtle shade at her husband maybe is, work
1: harder dummy
0: yeah, yeah. Um, getting into the origin of the wasp which is where we start getting into the meat of the story here so uh janet van dyne um, is the daughter of dr vernon van dyne when hank first meets her uh he thinks she looks a lot like a younger version of maria which is a little weird yeah. But it gets weirder. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, Vernon, uh, he actually uh, comes to uh, Hank's lab um, with Janet um, because he wants Hank's help on a gamma ray beam that he's using to pierce space and detect signals from other planets. Pim says he's not interested. This is not really his area of expertise. Vernon continues working on it by himself. Uh, unfortunately for him, he's successful. <laughs> so. Uh, He aims this beam uh, deep into the cosmos, and a criminal being uh, from the planet Cosmos, uh, with a K, uh, follows the ray to Earth and kills Vernon. Um, Janet comes home. She discovers her father's body. She calls Pym for help. Uh, Ant-Man winds up showing up. Janet wants to avenge her father, so Pym reveals his secret identity to her. Um, and he agrees to turn her into the wasp uh, with some uh, techniques that he's been researching, but hasn't actually tested out on a human being <laughs> yet. Um, so he puts her in this uh, machine uh, and uh, starts doing all these things. Uh, so basically, she gets these abilities when she shrinks. She grows wasp wings on her back. Um, she also grows antennae uh, to help her eat her insects the way that he can hear with his helmet and. Um, those actually wind up disappearing in the not too distant future, but the wings stick around.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's, this is the other interesting thing where he's looking at, he's doing research into synthetic cells in the microscopic field. So he's like, it's crossing over into this DNA, uh, you know, popular
0: science sort of area. So now he's got a, a partner in crime, um, which is good because he's got to deal with this creature from cosmos. (laughs) Again, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, just a generic alien monster, Uh, Villain Um, But uh, there's a couple of interesting Twists that I thought um, made it Separated a little bit from the pack Um, It's somehow uh, Related biologically to earth Ants the ants are terrified of it They won't go anywhere near it they won't Help uh, Ant-Man fight it Um, The other thing is it's so alien And it's so otherworldly um, That it completely overwhelms any human Who looks at it it's like an elder god from Lovecraft it's very much
1: that It's obviously you know, referencing those kinds of themes.
0: Yeah, totally. And
1: he, he does look, I mean, I know he looks kind of blobby and generic, but yeah. like job of the hut or something, but, right. um, but it, he also has this sort of, um, there's like a, the Chinese um, sculptures that are like warding off. They're like basically gargoyles. Oh yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he has like a, his face is very much like that to me, uh, which I I thought was somewhat unique for a globby alien guy.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's kind of weird. Like for a generic globby alien guy, he is distinctive from other generic globby alien. Mr. Personality, generic (laughs) globby alien guy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, this thing has, uh, it's made of formic acid, um, which is what ants use to sting and poison their prey. So, uh, Hank whips up the antidote to formic acid. Um, and then he, <laughs> this is <laughs> oh, the weird part. This is, this is where things go a little off the rails. Uh, he loads it into shotgun shells and then he has his ants carry the shotgun to a rooftop overlooking the creature's rampage. Uh, Why couldn't he just carry it Because he's got ants to do that for him Um, They carry the ammo too Yeah yeah that's that's the whole thing It's yeah it's very strange Um, Anyway so uh, Tiny Ant Man uh, Winds up pulling the trigger On the gun while Tiny Wasp Is reloading it they don't they don't come back to human size, which would make firing a shotgun so much easier. Right. It's built
1: just for humans.
0: Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so they shoot the alien a few times with this antidote. Uh, the monster vanishes and earth is saved, which is great. Um, so kind of a, a cool and very complete story. Uh, decent origin for the wasp. Um, I do have to say like all of that said, the Ant-Man-Wasp relationship is super creepy from the get-go. Yeah.
1: There's a there's a weird, you know, uh, what is that called? Robbing the cradle kind of thing going yeah,
0: on. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like, she, so she's totally head over heels for him, uh, but he won't return her affections. Uh, he keeps referring to her as a child. Like, literally, he says this half a dozen times in the issue, and that's even creepier when they when you know that eventually they do get together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So
1: he's constantly thinking this, like, like, um, you know, she's lovely, but yeah, much too young, right. Right, Stuff like that. it just gets weird.
0: Yeah. It's like this, this Lolita thing going on. And, uh, and then like also immediately after her father is murdered, Janet never really mentions him again, except to say that she wants revenge for his murder. um, but something kind of interesting about that is, like, she uses the word, and he uses the word also, avenge, several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has some added res- resonance yeah, in could, about, like, you know, three or four months down the road. It could mean so. something in a, just a few episodes of Marvel by the Month. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, just to break it all down, uh, this is Henry Pym's foolproof plan for picking up extremely young women. Um, So first, find one who looks like a too young version of your dead wife. Uh, Two, wait until her father is murdered, in part because you refuse to help him out. Uh, Three, promise to help her avenge his death. Four, perform untested genetic experimentation on her. Five, enlist her in killing her father's murderer. Uh, And then six, neg her constantly and refuse to return her affections. Uh, And within 18 pages, you'll have her eating out of your ant hand. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. At least this is the best Ant-Man story.
1: This made the most sense. There was you could read it and not just slap your head and go like, what in the
0: hell? Yeah. What a a sad thing to have to say that the best Ant-Man story is one where he starts down the path to possibly being a statutory rapist right like problematic <laughs> yeah
1: sexual relations yeah
0: anyway oh uh, just... marvel comics everybody hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um okay uh, i'm gonna take a break uh and you know maybe uh take a shower and you know like scrub myself with a wire brush. Yeah. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about our panels of the month right after this. Okay, and we're back. Um and uh Man, as much as I'd love to just cleanse the palate uh, From talking about that Ant-Man story um, Rob, I think your panel of the month Relates directly to this <laughs> Yes, so it does let's just get back into it And so get it, through it It's at least in the
1: just the, the normal part Of the non-Lieber uh, version of this uh, Tales to Astonish yes. <laughs> So uh, this is um, page 16, panel 7 The ant's carrying a <laughs> shotgun and ammo for no good reason yeah. So uh, when he's they're normal human size. He's putting all this stuff in shotgun shells, uh, but it's just a bizarre. It's it's much like I loved when Loki turned like guns, put like little wings on them, in, <laughs> yes. in, in one in one uh, version uh, or one story of Journey to Mystery. But this is, uh, yeah, just I did not expect that this 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 was a super linear story going quite well, filling out the characters' backstories. Bringing in the wasp seems super cool. Yep, not anything convoluted. And then suddenly, there's a scene of just a bunch of ants carrying a gun sideways too, just so it seems weirder. So they're like marching, and they're 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 headed to where, <laughs> where the cosmos is, which is across town. Right. So he's just gonna have ants march a gun and a box of shells. Yeah. Across town, and I'm like, just pick up the
0: gun, man. And, uh, yeah. and and if you look, you can see on the two lead ants, Ant-Man and the Wasp are riding them. Oh, so it's like they're just, yeah. It's, it's like go at ant speed. Across it's cool. Town. We know there's this alien monster who's just wrecking the town right now, but. In five hours, <laughs> we're going to be ready to deal with him. We'll have made it several blocks toward this villain. Yeah, yeah. So that's, but it was
1: mostly just that it, it cracked me up. Yeah. It's, as you know, sometimes mine are, my, my panels are tender. Sometimes they're just some big smashing. Yeah. And sometimes they're just, what is the most absurd thing? And oh yeah. This is it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, no, I, uh, I see that and I raise it. Um, <laughs> So mine also is a pretty absurd panel, um, and mine comes from uh, Tales of Suspense number 42, the Iron Man story. I don't know why this struck me as uh, being my favorite panel of the month, but um, so it's on uh, page five, uh, panel six. And and so basically uh, the Red Barbarian uh, has just gotten some bad news about his plan. Um, and he is ranting and raving at his subordinates while he is eating an entire ham hock that he's just holding in his hand. And uh, he uh, he finds out that uh, the plans uh, for the disintegrator ray are not in Stark's laboratory. Um, so he just hucks this ham hock <laughs> at, his, at his subordinate and clocks him, knocks him out cold. And the panel has... The guy lying on the ground, completely out. Stars above his head. The ham hawk lying on the ground yeah. next to him, and uh, and he, the uh, another one of his subordinates is trying to talk him down. But it's really clear. Like if he had a second ham hawk, he would absolutely have knocked <laughs> that guy out as well. It's just I I don't know. Like I I'm a sucker for just. Uh, like overly officious people throwing temper tantrums. And when
1: this is like Looney Tunes made real. Yes. Yeah, is and what when, it looks like.
0: And would like hilarious cuts of meat are involved. also, <laughs> I guess this uh. is, this is like the, the Venn diagram of my, uh, my sense of humor, but um, it's great. Uh, I love it. Uh, I will say that this is probably the best thing that Marvel did this month. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs>
1: What better way to paint a villain than have him throwing chunks of meat at people and knocking them unconscious?
0: Yeah, you've got at least two of the deadly sins. You've got <laughs> wrath. You've got gluttony. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's probably a couple others. Some in pride there. in there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to top that. I think we'd better just call this uh, call this an episode right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, thanks for uh, listening to number 16. Uh, We are super excited to keep doing these, um, and we hope you are uh, excited to keep listening to them. Um, We've got some good stuff coming up uh, next week, and we hope you will tune in uh, to listen to that. Uh, Until then, please uh, check us out on the Internet. Um, You can find us at marvelbythemonth.com, and uh, hit us up on Instagram, at marvelbythemonth. And, uh, yeah, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, Um, all that stuff is on the website if you want to drop us an email uh, please email us at marvelbythemonth at gmail.com and I think that's it Um, so yeah until next week uh, I will remain Brian Stratton and in this corner of the multiverse I will remain Rob Melm and we will see you next week for next month thanks a lot